Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog posts, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to this Bible study podcast. Today, we're going to finish our study of the book of the Acts of the Apostles, especially zeroing in on chapter 28. We'll touch on 27, uh, which we looked at in the last episode from the Unstoppable series, and then we will finish with chapter 28. So if you have your Bibles, turn there with me, and as you're doing so, let me ask you to check out our books at Amazon or Christian Book Distributors or your local bookstore or at my website, robertjmorgan.com, wherever you buy your Christian materials and your books. Reading books is such an enriching thing. It's been a big part of my life, all of my life, and I am so grateful for the opportunity to add a few titles to the vast collection that is out there. My book, Reclaiming the Lost Art of Biblical Meditation, tells us how do we meditate on the Bible. 100 Bible verses everyone should know by heart is about the memorization of Scripture. I have a series of books called Then Sings My Soul, books one, two, and three, on the history behind the classic hymns of the faith. Katrina and I wrote The Strength You Need together. It's based on the 12 great passages having to do with God's strength that she and I memorized that helped us through her illness. I have a daily devotional book called All to Jesus. And of course, we have the Red Sea Rules and the Jordan River Rules, a book called Worry Less, Live More on anxiety and what the Bible has to say about it in Philippians chapter 4, a book called 100 Bible Verses That Made America on the history of the United States from a biblical perspective. And later this year, coming out, you can pre-order it now. I'm very excited about it. The 50 Final Events in World History, Demystifying the Book of Revelation. So all of these books are available wherever you buy books. They're available in print form or audio or an electronic version. So check it out and share it with your friends, and may the Lord use these materials to encourage many people. Well, let's begin our study, our final study of Unstoppable, this way. One time long ago in a faraway land, there was a young man who always knew the best route to any location. And because of that, he was in great demand. He led travelers to distant cities. He guided pilgrims to their desired shrines. He knew how to get generals and their armies going in the right direction on their military campaigns. He led the king and his caravan on diplomatic missions. And always, as he escorted his clients, he held his right hand out in front of him as if he were running it along an invisible thread. The pathway that he chose was often harder than that chosen by other guides, but it always ended up being better. Sometimes the way that he took had detours and bypasses, but they always proved in the end to be the best. The invisible thread never 
failed to steer him in a way which, in retrospect, was the best. Sometimes this young man, even he himself, felt perplexed by the way he was going, but he never doubted the thread of guidance that he felt in his right hand. Now, few people in this world have ever reached out and felt that invisible thread, but it is there for every one of us. It is the perfect will of God. For every one of us, there is an invisible thread to guide us through our lives. God has an individual plan for each person who is committed to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So today I want to show you how this worked out in the life of St. Paul the Apostle. Let's begin in Acts 27, the passage we looked at in the last uh, episode of the Unstoppable series, but we'll touch on it again. This is the most vivid, true account of a shipwreck that we have from antiquity. The Apostle Paul as you've learned by now, if you've been following these Bible studies with us, had longed for many years to visit Rome. There was already a church established there, so he was not going as a church planter. He wanted to go there as a Bible teacher to share with the Christians in that city and to encourage them to get to know them better and to ask them for help as he wanted to take the gospel further westward into Spain. And God was guiding him to Rome. He was following, Paul was following, an invisible thread of guidance, but it was in a very circuitous way. It was a very difficult route. Paul had intended to travel to Rome as a free man and to do everything that he wanted to do on his own timetable and by his own prerogative. But instead, as you remember, he was arrested in Jerusalem, spent two years imprisoned on the coast of Israel, and finally he appealed his legal case to the emperor. As a result, he was going to Rome now as a prisoner. As I read and share this story again, I want to make four points in this podcast today that I think may encourage you. And the first one is very simple. First, the winds may blow us. They may blow us sometimes where we don't even want to go. So let's pick up the story back in Acts 27, verse 1. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy— Paul and some of the other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the imperial regiment. We boarded a ship. And the rest of the chapter is about this ill-fated and tragic voyage. Let's skip down to verse 14. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, and so we gave way to it, and we were driven along. And verse 20 says, When neither the sun nor the stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. And at the end of the chapter, at verse 41, the uh, the, the ship struck a sandbar, and it ran to ground. The bow stuck fast and wouldn't move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. So the passengers, the sailors, the prisoners, and everyone else jumped into the cold waters of the Mediterranean Sea off the coast of Malta, and miraculously, by God's providence, as he had promised Paul, every one of them either swam to shore or clung to pieces of timber until they could make it to land. Now, we come to chapter 28. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. 
So here's the lesson in all of this. Paul would never have chosen this route. He would never have wanted to endure the terror, I mean, who would, of being on a ship battered by a hurricane and shipwrecked. He would never have wanted to suffer hypothermia, and he would never have stopped probably on the island of Malta. That wasn't on his agenda, but this is where God wanted him to spend the winter. The Lord had worked for him here on this island, and so the winds of God's providence purposefully blew this ship and its 276 people to this island of Malta and stranded them there for the winter. You know the Lord uses many things to guide us, but he especially uses circumstances. He sends the winds of his providence to push us where he wants us to be. Sometimes it's not where we expect to be going, but God knows how to use the circumstances of our lives to realign us in a way that will correspond to his will. I've just finished reading Pilgrim's Progress again. Every so often, I reread it. Even though this book is over 300 years old, I've been reading an updated version, but it's a very old book, yet there is no book that so illustrates the various truths of everyday Christian living. That's why it's one of the great classics in all of literary history. The author, John, John Bunyan, faced a lot of headwinds in his life. You may know something about this. He was a village tinker, which meant that by profession, this is what he did, going from house to house repairing pots and pans. He knew how to solder them or how to repair them when they got holes in them or when the handles came off. But he also attended a little local Baptist church with his family, and he felt like he ought to share the Lord, and so he began preaching out in the countryside from time to time. He and his wife had a little girl, and she was blind. They had two other children who were in good health, but John's wife died following the birth of their third child, and by then, John was 30 years old. He was a village tinker and would go out sometimes and preach, and he was a widower with three children, one of them blind. He leaned heavily on his pastor, but then the pastor died. And then the church was thrown out of its meeting house and had to start meeting in barns and cow sheds. They were Baptist, and at this time the Baptists were in great disfavor in England. So all of these things were going against him. It was a very discouraging time. And then one day, John was invited to preach in a village 12 miles away in a barn. Well, about this time, the government totally outlawed the Baptist and all other non-Anglican denominations. And John was arrested right there in the barn. I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but the bottom line is that John's prison cell became a literary factory. This man began publishing sermons and prayers and tracts and pamphlets and books that simply flooded England. He became the best-known prisoner in the land and a tremendous effective minister from that prison cell. It was from prison that he later wrote Pilgrim's Progress. And by the time he was released and restored to his family, he was one of the most beloved and powerful figures in England, and his ministry has led untold thousands, even millions of people, to Christ and into a more effective Christian walk. Well, the world calls this bad luck. All of the things that happened to him, all of the troubles, the headwinds that he faced, 
The world calls it bad luck, but we call it Romans 8.28. Somehow, for Paul, the misfortunes led him to Malta, and the harsh winds caused him to wind up where the Lord wanted him to be. And if you will commit your way to the Lord and trust in Him, He will allow the circumstances to be realigned according to the winds of His providence to make sure that you are where He wants you to be. The winds blow us. But secondly, notice in this passage something very unexpected. The world befriends us. Notice how friendly and kind the pagan islanders were on this island of Malta. Look again at chapter 28, verse 1. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Notice that phrase, unusual kindness. They weren't just kind, they were unusually kind. And these evidently, well, we know from the text, were people who didn't know the Lord. They were superstitious people. Go down to verse 7. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his room, uh, to his home, and showed us generous hospitality for three days. Unusual kindness and generous hospitality. And verse 10, they honored us in many ways. And three months later, when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies they needed or that we needed. So the unsafe people in this community in Malta showed unusual kindness, generous hospitality to the shipwrecked survivors. And in this particular scene, they built a bonfire for them and welcomed them into their homes and met their needs for these three months and provided the supplies they needed when they departed as soon as sailing weather allowed. Do you know there is still an awful lot of good in this world? Now, take a moment and think about that. We see all of the bad there is in the world, and it disturbs us. But there is still an awfully lot of good, even among non-believers. Now, I know there's a variety of Christian theology that says that everyone is thoroughly evil without the saving grace of Jesus Christ in their lives. And it's true that we have a sinful nature. We all do. And none of us can be saved or please God or be taken to heaven on the basis of our own merits. It's only on the basis of the shed blood of Christ. But even those who are without Christ are created in the image of God. Human beings without Christ have capacity there within them for kindness and goodness. Not enough to save them, but enough to allow them to be a blessing to others and to us. And if you'll think about it, I think you'll agree with me that sometimes the non-Christians that we meet along the way can be some of the nicest and the most helpful people we'll, we'll ever meet. This is especially true after a natural disaster or a national disaster. If you were alive after 9-11, you know how our nation came together and how these brave personal responders and emergency responders and firefighters risked their lives. Not all of them were Christians, but they all risked their lives and some of them perished for the sake of others. And the whole nation came together. 
Here in Nashville, after the 2010 flood or after the more recent tornadoes, people came together and there was just a kindness in the land. And we see as we go through life that even unsaved people are created in the image of a good God, and they have the capability of doing good things and befriending us and even being a blessing to us. Well, here in Acts 28, the people of Malta got up in the wee hours and the word spread from hut to hut that a ship had wrecked or crashed on the coastline. And the villagers ran down to the shore into the cold waters to pull the survivors to safety and to care for them. They built a fire for them. And they were good. They were people who showed unusual kindness. I think this is why we need to treat everyone with dignity and with respect. The Apostle Paul was cared for and ministered to by people who from everything we know from this text were unbelievers. Now, hopefully some of them became believers. Maybe, maybe many of them did. But yet, despite the fact that they were pagans, they treated him with unusual kindness and generous hospitality. The Lord can use even the unsaved, the world, to befriend us. But now here is the third thing. The winds blow us, the world befriends us, but the serpents bite us. The Apostle Paul faced another trauma. He was bitten by a viper. I just can't imagine the hardships this man faced. He was imprisoned for two years and then sent in chains onto a ship that sailed right into a hurricane. He was terrified along with everybody else for several weeks. He was drenched and cold and shipwrecked, and he barely dragged himself onto the shore when he saw that he should maybe throw some firewood onto the fire with everybody else. And as he did so, he was bitten by a viper. Now let's look at the passage again. Chapter 28. Once safely on shore, we found out the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and he put it on the fire. And as he did so, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself onto his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to one another, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. So this tells us right there that they were pagans. They were worshipers of false gods and goddesses. But verse 5, a very interesting verse. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Now, I've never been bitten by a snake. Recently, I was hiking in the southwest and was told to watch out for rattlesnakes and copperheads, and so I scanned the pathway ahead of me. I looked as hard as I could. A time or two, I thought I saw a snake, and I jumped back about two feet, but in each case, it was just a curved stick of wood. But I thought to myself, what would I do if I were bitten by a snake? I'd need something to cut the wound and suck out the blood, and I didn't have a pocket knife, and I thought I would just have a sheer panic attack. I actually dreamed of it one night. It didn't happen to me, but it did happen in real life to the Apostle Paul. And I cannot believe that it was merely an accident. It's hard to read about serpents in the Bible without thinking about the devil. 
I believe the devil singled Paul out for special attack. He was doing anything and everything to keep him from reaching Rome, and the devil also attacks us. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. Earlier I mentioned the classic book, Pilgrim's Progress. If you've read that book, and I encourage you to read it, and maybe to read it in a newer version because uh, it reads so wonderfully. But one of the scenes, one of the most dramatic scenes, is when Christian confronts the evil Apollyon, which is a name for the devil in the book of Revelation. Christian, the hero in this book, comes face to face with Apollyon, who threw deadly darts at him as thick as hail. Christian deflected them as best he could with his shield, but he was struck in the head and hands and feet. He was wounded, and the combat lasted for more than half a day. Christian grew weaker and weaker as Satan attacked him. Finally, just as Apollyon was ready to strike the final blow, Christian reached out his hand, grabbed his sword, and gave Apollyon a deadly thrust. The enemy drew back, and Christian jumped up and raced towards him, saying, But in all these things we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. Apollyon suddenly spread his dragon wings and took flight and flew away. And Christian thought of the verse in the Bible that says, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And immediately a hand reached out to Christian with some leaves, which, when applied to his wounds, quickly healed them. And the pilgrim, the man, Christian, went on his way rejoicing. Now, the sword that Christian grabbed was the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And this is the only way that I know to fling this serpent into the fire. We have to learn to shake off his testings, to shake off his temptations, to shake him off into the fire. One day the Lord Jesus will cast him into the lake of fire that burns forever and ever. But for now, it is very important for us to learn how to shake off the devil when he attacks us. And we do it through the power of the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Last weekend, some of us drove to Black Mountain, North Carolina to visit with Sally Wilson, who is the daughter of the late T.W. Wilson, a very powerful 20th century evangelist. We have a podcast coming up with Sally. Well, she fixed a wonderful pot of potato soup for us all, and when I went into her kitchen, I was astonished at her refrigerator. Now, I have a few magnets on my refrigerator, and I keep thinking about taking them off because they look cluttered there, but I was astonished at her refrigerator. It was nothing but magnets. Every square inch of every side of that refrigerator was covered with little magnets from the top all the way down to the bottom, and almost every one of those little magnets was a different Bible verse. She collected Bible verse refrigerator magnets, and they covered her refrigerator. I think she must have the whole Bible attached to her refrigerator. Well, when I asked her about it, this is what she said. Now, listen very carefully. I I don't think I'll ever forget this. There is so much wisdom in it. She said, well, if I ever get too discouraged to read my Bible, I just stand here and read my refrigerator. We need to have the Word of God so available, so in front of us, so open, so accessible, so visible, that it's there all the time because each one 
of these little Bible verses is like a little dagger, a little sword, and each one is lethal to the devil. When tempted and tried, we use the power of Scripture to shake that serpent into the fire. So these are the three points so far. The winds blow us, the world befriends us, the serpent bites us, but here is the conclusion. But Christ uses all of these things to bless us by the invisible thread of his perfect will. He knows how to bring all of these things together, to orchestrate them, to synchronize them in a way that will bless us and enable us to be in the center of his perfect will. Look at all of the ministry opportunities Paul had on Malta, an island that he would probably never have visited on his own, but this was God's appointment for him, and the people, I think, have been prepared. Look at verse 7. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies that we needed. Well, Paul had three months of ministry on this island, and I also suppose that he was able to spend some time resting and in prayer and sort of recovering from what he had been through. He had not planned to visit this island. It was not on his list. It wasn't part of his strategy, but the Lord put him there. There's nothing specific in this passage about Paul's preaching the gospel, nothing to say that he established a church there. We expect that he did so, but he certainly provided humanitarian hope and healing for the people who seemed to have been prepared for him and who were so receptive to him. This was God's appointment, and the Lord used everything to get him there. And there were 275 others watching what happened. A very powerful ministry unfolded over these months. We don't have, well, Luke didn't have the time to write it all down to tell us every story, to tell us about every encounter, to give us a daily account of what happened. But it just is a very pleasant passage to think about Paul and the people of Malta during this three-month period and what God was doing there. As I studied this passage, a story came to my mind that I had read years ago, but I couldn't remember where I had read it. It just about drove me crazy. I stacked up all of the books that I thought might have this story in them and went through them until I found the story I remembered. It had to do with a missionary pilot in the Congo named Burley Law. His wife, Virginia, had written his life story, and I read it at the time with great interest. Burley Law was a missionary pilot in Africa, and one day during his normal runs, he ran into a deadly storm that seemed to sweep toward him out of nowhere. It reminded me of Paul's storm on the Mediterranean. And Burley found himself in tremendous danger. There in the cockpit of his tiny little missionary plane, uh, he hadn't been expecting any bad weather, but suddenly, out of nowhere, this storm came, and he lost his bearings. The thunderclouds surrounded him on every side, he later said. Here and there, there were openings that appeared in the clouds, and he kept turning his plane towards those openings. 
as though he were following an invisible thread, following little patches of blue like a needle through fabric. And finally he saw a small landing strip beneath him, and he landed with a sigh of relief. Suddenly a vehicle came racing up to the plane. A nurse ran to him saying, I don't know where you came from, but you are an answer to our prayers. There was a missionary couple who had been isolated on this remote mission station. The roads were impassable and the bridges were out, and the wife had become seriously ill with a high fever. Early that morning, the Christians in the village had gathered for earnest prayer for help. They had specifically asked God to somehow send help and to intervene in the crisis. And in response, God arranged the storm clouds in the sky to direct Burleigh Law's little plane with an invisible thread of patches of blue through the sky to the very place where he was needed. So, my friends, God knows how to get his people where he wants them to be. So let's finish our story of the book of Acts here. Verse 11 says, After three months we put out to sea in a ship that was wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day the south wind came up, and on the following day we reached Petuyo Olai. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. That was the destination all along. The writer Luke wanted to tell the story of how the gospel started in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost and how it reached the political economic, military, and cultural center of the world. And the chapter ends in verses 30 and 31, saying, For two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And with that, the book of Acts and our series of studies, Unstoppable, has come to a conclusion. Well, I'm very grateful to you for having followed along. I hope that maybe some of you have followed in every episode. I've learned so much about this fifth book of the New Testament as I have taught through it, and we will continue finding books of the Bible and wonderful subjects and teaching through them. It's the joy of my heart to teach the Bible and also to write about it. And so check out the books that I mentioned earlier, maybe even as you listen to this podcast, the name of a friend came to you and you want to give them maybe a book or recommend this podcast or tell them to follow along on my social media, our 59 second sermons for each day. Well, thank you for joining us. This podcast is produced by Joshua Rowe and Clearly Media. It is edited by Courtney Warner. Proofreading is done by Sherry Anderson and Luke Tyler. Music is by Elijah Rowe, and we thank all of you for your participation and standing with us. May God bless you and be with you until we meet again. <laughs>